Awesome. Thank you, Craig. Um, it really is awesome to be here. My uh, noble assistant is here because she's going to be doing our reading this morning. This is Chloe, my daughter. She's 10. Um, but firstly, just to bring you greetings from Common Ground Bloberg, our eldership team, and our church. Um, we hold this church in a very special place in our hearts, and I want you guys to know that um, we really do love and cherish and carry you in our hearts. We pray for you regularly and think about you often and care deeply. So from one Common Ground congregation to another, it is awesome to be here, and especially uh, during this celebration time. And we're going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 16, and uh, Chloe is going to be reading for us. So over to Chloe. While she's doing that, if your chair isn't 100% comfortable, like you're not turning and you don't have the back comfortable, get as comfy as you need to get because you, you realize 15 minutes in or maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up, your neck is sore and you blame the church for your sore neck. And we don't want to and I don't want to be blamed for your sore neck or your back. So uh, get comfy. Uh, that isn't also an implication that I'm going to be preaching for an hour. But I still want you comfy for the few minutes that I preach. Over to Chloe, Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I, I may gain... That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him and in his death. And so somehow attaining to resurrection from the dead. Not, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yoo-hoo! Well done. So, what a powerful passage of Scripture. And is there anyone who could help me make this uh, not Chloe's heart and my heart so that I can get a little higher? If not, oh, thanks. Awesome. So this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And one of my favorite parts... Oh, there we go. Perfect. That's why you got that round of applause earlier, hey? <laughs> You've earned it. This is probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture, at least in the kind of top 20. And I don't know if you've got a couple of sort of life verses that you run to. For me, verse 12 is one of those where he says, not that I've already obtained all of this. And we're going to get, that, uh, get to that part. But I want to ask you the question today, what gives you the right to celebrate? What gives you the right to rejoice, to, to be joyful? We're reading a, a passage of Scripture here, which is uh, really a 
a confusing thing to understand. You see, this isn't just any old letter. This is often called the epistle of joy, the letter of joy that Paul writes. And it's, it's called that. Why? Because so many of the chapters are just filled with uh, Paul's command to be joyful, to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. There's a sense that Paul is writing and calling them to rejoice. But the irony of what he's doing is that he's writing it from prison. He's writing from prison. So you've got this guy who's writing about joy, but he's writing in a place that is notoriously not joyful. It's the place you don't want to be in. So there's this incredible juxtaposition. There's this incredible picture of the Christian life, of where joy can be found. And I want to suggest today that you have the right in fact, you have a reason and you even have a responsibility to celebrate if you're a Christian. The right, the reason, and the responsibility to celebrate. And I know that we live in a world that says you need to be authentic to yourself. You need to be true to yourself. You must never do what you don't feel. You try to tell Paul that who's writing a letter of joy from prison. He writes about joy, but he's stuck in a place where he can't get out of. The mice are running around his feet. He can't do what he's called to do. He's held back from so much of what he would love to do and be, and yet he calls them to joy. You see, he doesn't live in a postmodern world that says, if I don't feel it, I can't do it. He comes from another world where he says something totally different. You see, so often the facts around us will shout at us and say, you're not allowed to celebrate. You're not allowed to be happy because look what just happened. Vessel said to us, we've had a tough year. I'll speak into that. You, you've had a tough year, but I want to persuade you in the next couple of minutes that despite having a tough year, the gospel gives you the right in the midst and in the middle of what might have felt like a prison or a jail sentence or a, a kind of living hell that even then you don't just have the right but you even have the responsibility to celebrate, to find the joy that God gives you despite your circumstances. Does that sound cool? So here's a few reasons. Uh, why I want to suggest you can celebrate. And, and, and I want to give you a bit of context because we're going to look at verse uh, 7 and 8 uh, firstly, but uh, here Paul is, is beginning to do this kind of comparison thing. I don't know if you see that, but he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So I, I, there, there's some stuff that I've gained, but it, but it is comparably a loss. So what was he talking about? Well, if you go back a couple of verses, you'll see that Paul uh, has, has kind of written down his CV. Anybody created a CV ever in their life? Okay, yes. Your hands on up, but you've nodded. Yes, you've created a CV. Paul writes out his CV and he says this, um, his, his kind of Jewish CV. So you might not like see this on a modern CV, but it is his. He says, firstly, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That means I had the best possible start. <laughs> Don't put that on your CV. Seriously. But what that means is if you were a Jewish person, you had the best possible start. You were set up for success. You went to the best hospital. You had the best photo shoot. Your parents' walls were filled with the nicest photos of you. You were set up for success. You were born into the suburb and the family and the culture and the community that everyone dreamt you could be 
brought up in. He says, I was of the people of Israel, not just that, of the tribe of Benjamin, the apple of God's eye. He describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. If you think you're a good Jewish guy, uh, says Paul, I was amongst the best of them. I, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. He wasn't just any Pharisee. He was raised under the great Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers in Israel. He was kind of tutored under him. This means that he didn't just go to any school. He went to the finest private school that you could find. It was the perfect blend of a sense of, uh, you know, it wasn't too snobby, but the education was incredible. The school everyone went to, the Goldilocks school, where it was just a perfect blend of everything you wanted for your child. Paul went to it. He had the upbringing to dream of. As for zeal, he says of himself, I was a persecutor of the church. I was pumped up. I was everything that a Jewish person was meant to be. And the rest of the Jewish world were clapping their hands going, go Paul, young boys, young girls, one day be like that guy. He was the head prefect of his school and everybody dreamt they could be like Paul. His CV was remarkable and there were people knocking on his doors, talent scouts all over going, we will take you. You can come here. He was a lawyer, he was a politician, and he was shooting for the stars and everything he wanted could become possible from a worldly sense. Amazing. This was his life. This is where he was headed. And now he writes and he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Wow. A guy who by cultural, societal standards was shooting for the stars. His mummy and his daddy told him he could be anything he wanted to be. And then he gets knocked off his donkey one day by the love of Jesus Christ. He is, becomes a prisoner for Jesus in, and is conquered by the amazing love of God. And he says, I consider that better than anything I could have ever achieved in my previous life. My CV is incomparable to what it means to know Jesus. The first reason I want to suggest that you are permitted, that you actually have a responsibility to celebrate is because of the comparable wonder of knowing Jesus Christ your Lord. The deepest joy that you and I have is because of this wonderful gospel. It's like Paul is saying here, I, I know him and that's more precious than anything else I could ever have. Uh, my kids are all in the front here, Chloe, Josie and Anna. We were at Macro the other day, uh, not just ordinary Macro, we were in the returns section of Macro. You know that place. I've been there about nine times with a hoverboard in the last six months. And uh, so I know it very intimately. And I've realized you've got to get creative if you're standing in that queue. And so I pulled out my phone because we were all in the queue. And we played the Would You Rather game. Anybody know the Would You Rather game? And the one that stuck out to me was, would you rather, girls, make sure I get this right. Would you rather be attacked by a pigeon, a, a, a zebra-sized pigeon, or by a thousand Pigeon-sized zebras. The whole of the macro returns area looked and went, I don't know. That's a good one. Eventually the vote came out that a thousand pigeon-sized zebras was less scary than one, you know, zebra-sized pigeon. But he, there's this amazing comparison and it was like, whoa! This is what Paul is doing here. He's making a comparison. He's going, would you rather have an amazing future in this life 
Or would you rather have your heart conquered by the love of Jesus Christ and be entered into a whole new world where God in His mercy comes to you and shows Himself as a Father who cares for you despite your circumstances, who comes in in amazing, merciful love and gives you a name that you don't earn or deserve, who affirms you and cares for you and blesses you with His presence in a way that transforms anything you could ever want in this life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you were to play this game, I would rather have Jesus a thousand times over than that future that I had for myself when everybody was applauding and saying, there he goes. Hey, that's why you can celebrate today. Because if you're in Christ, you have something that your circumstances can never take away. Second reason you're permitted, in fact, you're responsible to celebrate is that our circumstances are actually the grounds for taking hold of God's grace and his plans. Look at verse 12. I mean, you have to marvel at the the wisdom and the beauty of this writing. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all of this. So he's writing about what it means to know Jesus, to live in the plans of Jesus. If you're in Christ, you have been taken hold of by Jesus. And he says, now there is an adventure that lies ahead. You didn't get baptized and the person held you under the water and said, okay, all the best, just go to heaven. You popped out of the water and there was an adventure for you in the kingdom where you were made alive to live on this earth, which is filled with brokenness and pain and evil and misery and possibility and redemption and life and grace and creativity. And that blend means that as you are born into this life, you are taken hold of by Jesus and he looks at your life and he looks through your life and he says, I took hold of you. Listen to that. Not that I've already obtained all this, this wonderful life of following Christ or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What an amazing thought. Have you got everything Christ has for you? Have you attained all the beautiful mysteries and wonders of what Jesus has called you to? My answer to you for you is no, you haven't. You haven't got hold of, you haven't attained everything that Jesus has. Why? Because he has more adventure. He has more redemption. He has more creativity to flow from you and through you to the world. And that means that your circumstances, if Paul could write this from prison and still be redeeming the world, then the worst of years could also be redeemed by God through you. Jesus takes a hold of you. Last Thursday afternoon, uh, I said to the girls, I said, guys, what do you think? Let's take our longest ride ever. We're not very experienced, but I'm going to, uh, so, so I said, we're going to go from Bloberg to Melkbos. It's, a, it's exactly door to door from where we were going to end. It's exactly 10 Ks, longest ride we were going to have done. And I was going to ride alongside them. And I said to them, what do you guys think? And I was going to run, they were going to ride. And uh, I said, what do you guys think? They said, that sounds amazing. Let's do it, Dad. And we knew the Southeaster was going to blow us up there. So it was going to help us a little bit. And so I cast the vision and I said, let's go. You see, what I did in that moment is I took hold of their imaginations and I said, we've got something that we're going to do together. I took a hold of them. I took a hold of their lives. I took a hold of their thoughts. And I said, you can't do this without me. There is no ways. It's too far. It's too dangerous. And our rules say you're not riding on those roads alone. But if I go with you, 
you can accomplish something you've never done before. I took hold of them. And then actually on Saturday morning, they got on their bikes. Some were nervous, some were excited because there were roads to cross, there were things to be done. And I took a hold of them. Sometimes I even had to hold. I had to stop. I had to say, wait, watch. Sometimes it was stressful. Sometimes I raised my voice. But we got there. I would never raise my voice, would I? Not the pastor from Bloberg. Never. But here's the thing. I took a hold of their minds, I took a hold of their lives, and I said, let's go. When you put your faith in Jesus, he takes a hold of you. John chapter 10 says, those the Father has given me, I'll never let anyone out of my grasp. Those I've taken a hold of, no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Jesus grabs a hold of your life, but he doesn't take a hold of your life so that you can stand kind of wandering around. He takes a hold of your life that you may attain, that you may move forward. So he doesn't call you to look back on this year and go, wow, I'm just resting from a really hectic year. He actually lays a hold of your life and he says, you're, a, you're born for redemptive purposes. You are a person filled with redemptive potential. And so here's the thing. You're heading into December. I pray you get some rest. But you're not just resting from. You're also resting for so much more redemption. I had this image of, a, of teachers. I don't know how many teachers are here. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. But I had this thought that in 2024, there are going to be kids that walk into your classroom that you might be the only person who shows them what true love is all about. You might be their only opportunity to be ruined for the wonder of a loving God who cares so deeply for their souls, who understands that they are made in the image of God with beauty and worth and potential. And you get the opportunity in your life and in your teaching to show them what a God-redeemed human being looks like. You're not just resting from a tough year. You have years and years and years of redemptive life that is going to flow from you. You are to attain, to take hold of, to lay hold of stuff. I don't know what your business potential is. I don't know whether you're looking for work. I don't know where your season is. But I want you to know that Jesus laid a hold of you so that you might take hold of stuff. The redemptive potential lives inside of you. It was planted in you the moment Jesus took a hold of you. And I want to encourage you to keep thinking. I'm resting from, yes, it's been a tough year, but I'm resting for another year, another potential opportunity, another opportunity for my life to be used to move forward in the kingdom of God, to be a person, an agent of beautiful redemption. I love what Joshua says, uh, uh, what Caleb says to Joshua. They've taken the promised land. Caleb has fought for all his brothers and his cousins and his uncles to find land for themselves. And eventually, in his kind of later years, he comes to Joshua, who's kind of still leading Israel. And he says, so here I am today, 85 years old, 85 years young in Caleb's case. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. This guy's had some tough years, but he still says this. Now give, this, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 
This is 85 years old, and uh, he has this courage inside of his heart to keep taking hold of that which God has for him. I don't know if you know your history, but uh, in the 1400s, the 15th century, Spain were the center of the world. Spain ruled the world, but like uh, the American is kind of like the biggest colony and probably seems like China's taking over. Um, and the British colony, you know, was powerful a century ago. Well, Spain in the 15th century were the powerful nation. And if you looked at an inscription on their coins, you would have seen this. Nay plus Ultra. If anybody speaks Latin, don't judge me. But on their coins, it would basically, it said, nothing further or nothing beyond. Ultra means beyond. And basically what this coin meant was that Spain was the center of the world. They understood themselves to be literally at the center of the universe. Everything revolved around Spain. They were the geniuses. They were the creatives. They were taking over the world. They were the ones who did everything. Ne plus ultra. Spain is at the center. Until their one adventurer went across the Atlantic Ocean and landed on the other side in a place called America and came back and he said, actually, there is plus ultra. <laughs> and you know what they did? They literally humbled themselves. They took the nay out and they just had a coin that said plus ultra, more beyond. They realized, wow, there is more beyond. And they re uh, recreated their coin, more beyond. And I suggest that as a Christian, you could live like the old Spanish regime, which said nothing beyond. It's just me, myself, and whatever I'm building. Or you go, there is more beyond. I am made for more. There is redemptive potential based on the grace and the power of God in my life to recognize there is more beyond. There's more beyond a really tough year. There's more beyond what I understand uh, my life to be. There is more beyond. There's more beyond your December holidays. There's more beyond what you're just hoping to get from your next kind of adventure. Let me finally just suggest uh, one last thought. And it goes like this. We've had a tough year. We all know it, right? I think uh, many people, and I think uh, we've walked this, this journey with your church, um, and I know that you've had a tough year. I know that uh, many people, uh, probably in this community, have, have had tough years. Maybe it's been your own business life. Maybe it's been in relationships. Life gets tough. And I don't want to belittle or undermine the fact that you've had a tough year. So please don't hear me saying that. But I did do a little bit of reflecting. I listened to a podcast recently where uh, a person who had reflected on 2023, you know, it's coming into November and these big thinkers are talking about the year. And he said, wow, it's true. 2023 has been a tough year. So I paused there and I thought, okay, 2023 has been a tough year. Sure. It's been a tough year. Okay. So let's go back to 2022. How was that one? Oh, 2022 was a tough year. Everyone described it as a tough year. It was the, it was the hangover of, of COVID. It was really, really tough. Then I went back, okay, 2021. How was 2021 for us? Oh, it was the second and third waves of COVID. It was brutal. So how was 2020? Oh, 2020 was the worst year in human history. It was super tough. There were people losing jobs. There were people cutting uh, stuff out. Yes, some of you have sweet memories of making bras every evening for a few weeks. But besides that, everyone went, 2020 was tough. 
Then I went, okay, let's go back to 2019. Surely that was a good one. Do you know what the sentiment at the end of 2019 everyone was saying? 2020 is coming. It's got a good ring to it. Don't you remember how many people were saying it's going to be the year? 2020 sounds so good. And I, I dare say that even some people were prophesying. It's the year where it's going to just be so good for us. So now I go back and I go, okay, 2023 was tough, sure. Not undermining that it has been tough. 2022 was tough. 2021 was tough. 2020 was tough. And by all accounts, 2019 was tough. I've got five years. Here's my prognosis. Life is tough. It's really tough. And we've had five tough years, and who knows what next year will hold. I don't. In 2019, we thought we did. Honestly, there was such a promise in the air. It was like we could almost smell the excitement of a new 2020, a new decade. It was all about to happen. Hooray! Thank you, COVID. It happens. Life is tough. Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles. You will have troubles. Uh, Paul writes, and he says this right at the end, um, he says, uh, somehow, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is ahead, straining toward, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. But here's the thing. We skipped over verse 10. See that? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. You see, what happened in Jesus in the gospel is Jesus kept on saying, as he came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was basically saying, I am the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus said, I'm going, he said, don't worry. The kingdom of God isn't going. The kingdom of God is going to stay. How? When I pour out my spirit. You see, what happened in Jesus pouring out his spirit is that what Jesus did was he said, the kingdom of God is here, but we live in the overlap of the ages. You see, what happened on Friday was that Jesus was crucified brutally on a cross. And what happened on Sunday was that God showed that he was ruler over everything and he had power to redeem even the darkest of nights. You see, we live in a world that still has Friday pain and equally has Sunday redemption. What the Bible, what some theologians call the overlap of the ages. We live in the present evil age, and yet we also live with the age to come having broken in. Jesus' kingdom age has come in. Joel said, it's the end, the, 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 those end days, the latter days, the time of the end has come in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That means that you can live expecting Friday pain, and Sunday resurrection all in one hour. Sometimes all in one second, sometimes all in one heart uh, beat. You feel the pain of the reality of something you've lost and you feel the hope of the wonder of something that God is doing. That's the reality of the world we live in. That's what Paul is saying here. I wanna, uh, I wanna know the power of his resurrection, verse 10, and participation in his sufferings. What a wise and mature guy. What a, a stable way. Only the Christian gospel can handle this. I've never found a philosophy for the way one can live than the Christian gospel that can handle hope-filled, redemptive power 
and yet the pain and brokenness of this world. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have Sunday redemption, always knocking at your door, always promising the potential for power, even if you're in prison. And yet you have the reality that Friday still happens. That crucifixion pain may still happen. You can still feel like you're being hung out to dry. But it's in those places that you can remember Sunday is coming. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that he will return. And ultimately this present evil age will be complete. It will end. And we will live with him always in the age to come. And the overlap will end and we will only have the presence of the king and his glorious kingdom. And so to that end, I want to encourage you that you have the right, you have a reason, and you actually have a responsibility to celebrate because we have Sunday. <laughs> Sunday has happened. He is risen, and it is a glorious, glorious thing. Can I pray? Father, thank you for the wonderful, wonderful story of the gospel. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being in this community, God, in a year where we have cried many tears and it's felt very Friday-like at times. God, we do not want to underestimate the wonder of what you've done in your resurrection life. We do not want to underestimate, God, the power of your resurrection that's been at work in this community, sometimes through weakness. Often, Lord, in the lowest times, you have been redeeming things. And Jesus, today we thank you and we choose by faith with Paul to be a people of joy, to be a people of celebration, not because it's all perfect, but because what we have in the gospel, the wonder of knowing you, Jesus, far surpasses anything we could have in our earthly lives. Jesus, we thank you that we have the privilege of pressing on to lay hold of that for which you laid a hold of us. I pray this morning that we as individuals would be reminded that we have gifts, we have talents, and we have purpose that we are called to use for your glory and your redemption. Use us as agents of light and life in this world. Oh Jesus, we know we've had a tough year, but you promised we'd have troubles in this life, but we take heart as you promised because you have overcome the world. And so to that end, we thank you, we rejoice, we relax, and we trust, Lord Jesus, that 2024 will, would be filled with grace, would be filled with more Sunday moments than Friday moments, would be filled with redemptive power and life and creativity and joy. But we will not be surprised if Friday happens from time to time. But we will hold on to our hope, and we will trust you because you are good. And so we celebrate and we thank you for your life, Jesus. Amen.